a lot of rewarding things come out of songwriting and really any creative endeavor. But one of the more rewarding things, and I think one of the more fun parts of sort of your process as a songwriter is eventually sort of developing your sound, which will probably continue to evolve. But as you start to really find your voice and your sound, and you start sounding less and less like carbon copies of some of your favorite artists, that can be some of the most enjoyable parts of the songwriting process. And in this episode, we're going to talk about how recording actually helps develop your sound. Because I know a lot of people, for, for whatever reason, are still kind of hesitant on the recording thing, despite the fact that now, realistically, you, you can honestly record music at home that sounds pretty pretty darn good with 300 bucks or less. And even, even though that has been true for years now, I think there's still some resistance. Um, but it's really important, I think, to add recording to your songwriting process because it will help you develop your sound. And we're going to talk about that in this episode. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. As always, I am your host, Joseph Vidala. Happy to be with you today talking about how recording can help you develop your sound recording certainly has helped develop my sound and specifically ever since I started doing recording while I was songwriting that has really put it into overdrive for helping develop my sound and advance my sound really uh, because at some point you've kind of developed your sound so it's, it's from there just sort of you know adding a little bit onto it expanding a little bit rather than you know having initially found it but something else that might be helpful to you in developing your sound because a part of your sound is going to be your voice and when i say voice in this sense i'm talking about your creative voice your lyrical voice how you form words the way that you communicate what you're trying to communicate when it comes to the lyrical side of things and a great way to help discover that for yourself and and really to kind of get past all the the different things that can get in our way as lyricists it's easy to let you know corny rhymes get in the way it's easy to let you know, lyrical shortcomings sort of get in the way. It's 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 easy to put ourselves in position to fail when it comes to writing really resonant, really powerful lyrics. Uh, so if you if you want that to get out of the way and to really clear a path for you to write lyrics that you can be proud of that pass the frame test, um, which if you don't know, basically frame test is if you printed your lyrics and put it in a frame on the wall, would they still hold up? Would they still be something that people would be like, oh wow, that's really good? Um, because frankly, music can cover up the weaknesses of lyrics. So if you want that, be sure to check out my free guide at songwritertheory.com slash lyric, che lyric checklist. Link will be in the description slash show notes as always. That will take you through the six steps that I go through in developing a song so that each step is not so difficult and to really help you to get the best results rather than staring at a blank page and sort of hoping for the best, which is what we want to avoid. So let's dive into how recording helps develop our sound. And the first thing, which I already alluded to, is that recording can help combine the writing and arranging processes, especially if you are recording while you write. Because if you write the whole song with just your acoustic guitar and then decide to record it, 
that might result in a very different end product song than a song that you actually start writing, maybe still with the acoustic guitar, but you record it. And then from there, you go wherever the song leads you. So for example, you might find that you come up with the verse guitar part. But then from there, after you've recorded it, maybe you layer in a piano part on top of that for the verse. And then you realize that the piano kind of wants to go into a certain direction when it comes to the chorus. And as you're playing the part for the piano that you're layering on top of this acoustic guitar part for the verse, you sort of discover that. And that would never happen if it weren't for the fact that you're recording as you're writing. Instead, you would have probably continued to write the entire song on guitar, and that would just result in a different direction. Now, one is not necessarily better than the other, but as far as discovery and really helping to to open up the box a little bit, give yourself more options, it can be super helpful to actually be writing and recording at the same time. So we're talking about writing and arranging processes here and how those two are combined when it comes to recording. And a part of that is because writing, when we think of the process itself, writing contains the melodic stylings that you might have and the basic chord progression stylings you might have, right? You you might have certain go-to chords or certain cadences that you like to go to. For example, I'm a huge fan of, in a major key, a minor three chord which is probably the most rare chord to use besides the diminished seventh, which just straight up nobody uses. Um, but when it comes to chords, the one, four, and five are most common. The six is easily the most common minor chord. And then the two seems to be the second most common minor chord. I extraordinarily rarely see the three chord used. Um, and it's per- my personal favorite. Um, and I really specifically like going from a three chord to a four chord. There's something about that I really like going from like six down to three to four or five to three to four. There's something about it. It it just goes like a little bit lower than you were expecting. And then it pulls up to four. And I just really like that sound. So that's what I sort of mean by chord progression stylings, right? We might all have some some things that we like to go to when it comes to how our chord progressions go. And then also your lyrical style, right? The writing process and your lyrical style, of course, are going hand in hand, right? Because really when you're songwriting, and we've talked about this before, but really songwriting is essentially your melody, your lyrics, and your chords. Now, it's a little bit more, it could be considered to be a little bit more, um, but for the most part, it's those three things. Even, Even if you have a guitar hook or maybe a piano part that's operating as the hook that is a part of the songwriting but really it's kind of an arrangement choice now it's it's somewhere in the middle right like if somebody just straight up stole your piano riff that's a certain level of memorable right like if you took the clocks piano riff okay that's clearly at that point a part of the writing of the song not really the arranging of the song but technically you could cover clocks and not play that riff right? And it still is clocks. It doesn't need that riff to be clocks. So it starts to get a little vague in that area. But when it comes to things that are clearly arranging, arranging contains really the majority of the harmonic stylings and the general song feel, right? Because 
we've talked about this before as well, but when it comes to, for example, things like pop goes punk, you know, there are a lot of people that will say things like, oh, you know, you know, I, I hate Taylor Swift, but, you know, uh, pop goes punk made her song good or something like that, um, which is always slightly triggering to me because it shows a fundamental misunder in two ways. One, they accidentally complimented Taylor Swift. So that's obviously, you know, the, the worst. It's <laughs> just kidding. But um, but but the other part is that. It shows a fundamental misunderstanding of what a song is. So if you think that a, a one band covering a song of someone else's, quote, made the song good, like, then it means you don't understand what a song is. In that case, what that means is that that person liked the original Taylor Swift song. They just didn't like her arrangement of it. They preferred the the punk arrangement because maybe they're biased towards punk music, which I have no idea why anybody would be, but I know I, I know a lot of people are. Um, and and the same thing can be true for you know and and any cover of any kind, right? You might not like a song until there's a country cover of it, and then it's like, oh, I love it now because you're biased towards country or whatever it is. The song itself hasn't changed. The melody's the same. Yes, even if they do a couple slightly different things and take a couple liberties with the melody. The fundamental melody is the same. The lyrics are the same. And the chords are the same. And again, they might take some liberties with the chords, right? If, if you're going to uh, punk or a certain type of rock, you, you might adjust certain things about the chords. But let's be honest, that's not going to total. That's not the reason that you like the song, right? Like the lyrics are the same. The melody's the same. It is the same song. So I mentioned all that just to illuminate us to the idea that, look, arranging contains, in some cases, the vast majority of the information that will make people like or not like a song. So your general sound as an artist is largely determined really in the arranging process. And again, I'm not saying it's not contained in the writing process. Of course it is. But really the parts that are contained in the writing process, I think are going to be more vague. It's kind of like you might be a fan of an artist that you find out, oh, they wrote all these songs for other artists that sound nothing like that original artist. And you might be surprised by that. Like, oh, they write like this. Well, just by another artist singing it, that already gives it a different sound. And then you think like, well, okay, the person that I'm thinking of is the lead singer in a rock band. And then say an R&B singer did one of the songs they wrote. Well, already R&B and rock have significantly different sounds. So of course, this no, even if it has the same writer, and even if the writer wrote in a fairly similar way, just the arrangement differences between a rock song and an R&B song will make that song sound totally different, to the point that you might really like the songs that that person writes when it's for a rock band, and you really don't like it when it's R&B, or it might be the opposite, right? You really like the R&B stuff, but you don't actually like that original band, so you're surprised, like, oh, I love Rihanna, or I don't know, whoever it is. Um, and then you find out who wrote it and you're like, oh, interesting. I don't actually like the band that that person's a part of. 
So arranging contains a huge portion of what will end up becoming your sound. Because again, literally just the arrangement is what makes the difference between a song being Celtic versus R&B versus country versus hip hop versus hard rock versus, uh, I don't know, singer song. I never know what to call singer songwriter. It's such a vague thing, but uh, some acoustic genre will say folk. Let's let's go there. So when you're recording, you are effectively arranging at the same time, right? By necessity, unless you're literally just recording like an acoustic version of the song that's you and acoustic guitar, you are arranging how your track and how your version of this song is going to sound, which can vary hugely depending on the person doing it, right? Like, it's like if you sent a guitar track, just guitar and you singing to some producer and said, hey, make a song out of this, the song that comes out might be completely different than what you imagined. But when you are recording the song, you are in control of this. So it lets you create your sound while you're writing your song. Rather than write, having to write the song and then sort of try to figure out what the right sound is for the song. It allows it to, to, the, the, that process to become one. Which, at least to me, is, is very, very helpful. It allows the sound I want to have influence where the song goes. And another thing it does is it lets you create your sound from several instruments or parts combined rather than just one instrument. Because unless you are one of those people from like America's Got Talent or whatever, most of us can only play one instrument at a time. And depending on what instruments we play, um, you know, some of us play instruments that allow us to sort of do two at the same time in the sense that, for example, if you consider the, a voice an instrument, which I think is a whole debate in and of itself, but if you consider it an instrument, you know, you can play guitar and sing at the same time. And you can play piano and sing at the same time. You can't play flute and sing at the same time, but alas. So what recording allows you to do, and especially recording while you are writing your song, is that it lets you develop your sound from layering instruments together and layering parts together rather than having all of your sound rest on one instrument. So, for example, let's say your guitar sound is achieved by layers of electric guitars that all have specific jobs. We'll, t we'll take what I'm my current sound sort of is off of. Right now what I do is I have a baritone guitar and not necessarily every song, but most songs are generally going to do this. Where in the chorus or whatever the biggest part of the song is, they're generally going to follow this sort of template. I'm going to have my baritone guitar, which if you don't know what a baritone guitar is, it's basically a guitar that's uh, a little bit longer so that it is built for lower tunings. And I have mine in drop B. Um, so just for an idea of what a baritone guitar is. Think of it as like it's mostly a guitar, but it's sort of heading towards becoming a bass. Um, so I have that, and I use that for single notes on the lowest string. Almost like playing a bass part, but not on a bass, instead on a baritone guitar. And I layer that on top of doing power chords, also on the, 
on that baritone guitar, which again is going to have a lower, richer feel. Then I usually have chords with a regularly tuned or for me, regularly tuned, which is a half step down electric guitar. And I have two of those. And I have two of each of these, by the way, one for right, one for left. And we'll leave out how I style them because who cares how I do things? This is just to illustrate sort of what I'm talking about. And then from there, I actually have a Nashville tuned guitar um, that then I layer in because basically what we're doing is I'm creating this wall of sound where the baritone guitar is covering notes and resonances lower than what we're used to hearing from guitar. Then I have a guitar that's largely doing more or less what we normally would expect to hear from a guitar. And then I have a Nashville guitar that is giving you chords and stuff that is higher than you would normally expect to hear from chords from a guitar. Because basically a Nashville guitar is tuned in a way that all the strings are sort of, um, it's basically tuned in a way that the three lower strings are in the same pitch range as the three higher strings. So all of your, all of your notes are closer together and higher than they would be in a norm on a normal guitar, but they're still technically tuned to the same notes so that you can use the same chord. You know, if, if you do what normally is a G chord, it will also be a G chord on a Nashville guitar tuned guitar, which is nice because it means you don't have to relearn for a totally different tuning, which is great. Um, so I layer all those in, which gives this massive guitar sound, because I, even if I played the exact same part, which I don't, but even if I did, it it gives me a lot of richness at the bottom with the single note combined with the power chord on the baritone. It gives me that mid-level that you normally would expect from a guitar with the the more or less regularly tuned electric guitars. And then it also gives you the higher chimey biting sound that you get from the Nashville electric guitars all layered together, which is what more or less creates my sound. Cause I like a wall of sound, a huge sounding guitar wall really. And for something like that, you cannot achieve that with one instrument, right? You're just not going to develop that sound from one instrument. What you can do is layer in a bunch of pedals, right? To sort of develop your sound, but really that's mostly going to be good for developing your, specific guitar tone, which is different than developing your sound as an artist, right? And even from there, I would argue it's best for developing your tone as a lead guitarist who's going to be playing lead parts slash solos than it is for developing overall, like, what does the arrangement of my choruses, what does it tend to sound like? How do I layer in my guitars? What, what are the different jobs of the different guitars I have in here? You know, how many are doing arpeggios? Do I have the lower guitars doing arpeggios? Um, or do I have power chords at the lowest part and then the highest parts are arpeggios really high? You know, how do I do all that? And beyond just guitars, our sound is formed by combinations of instruments a lot of times, right? Even if it's something as simple as, you know, generally choosing to have your guitars function lower than your piano parts, right? And maybe your piano parts, you tend to be up one octave from middle C, or maybe you're the opposite and you actually tend to make your guitar parts a little more high bass, use a lot of the higher strings, maybe use capos a lot. And then you have the piano settle in more around middle C to be a little bit more of that real mid rangey sound. Even things like that, Without recording, you're not going to know that, right? Because you can't play both the piano and the guitar at the same time. 
Not even to mention that you also get to figure out some sound or instrument combinations that you like by recording. So how would you know, for example, how much you like the combo of the sound of chimes or, you know, a a chime-like bell synth and guitar if you don't try? Right. And again, you can't do that without it because you, you cannot play those two at the same time. You can p- only play guitar and then, you know, you, you can't also play a synth at the same time. What about bass and organ? Right. Uh, I use that example because recently I've come to the realization that I love there's a specific organ sound I have uh, from Omnisphere. Omnisphere is great. That is really rich and thick especially at the lower levels and what i found is i really like combining that organ just playing a single note with the bass part um it adds a certain vibe to it It adds sort of this regal big epic but organ also has like an old you know olden days sound to it uh and i I really like how it combines with the bass uh but i never would have discovered that and probably wouldn't have even thought of that if it wasn't for messing around with recording, right? And and recording while I was writing things. I probably never would have discovered that. Now, I, I, I love, love, love it. In fact, there's some songs I'm considering not using bass at all and literally just using the organ instead. Um, so, you know, how, how are you going to figure out what instrument combinations or what sound combinations you might like if... If it's not for recording, there are some things that maybe you can figure out, right? Like maybe you know that you like a string quartet in the context of rock because you've heard enough bands do it. Okay, but that's pretty conventional, right? That's not it's not something really different. But, you know, maybe for you, something that can help separate you from the next artist is that you combine your finger picking acoustic guitar part with a certain sounding synth sound. Maybe uh, bells are common with synths. And bells are things, you know, that generally emulate what you would expect from, you know, something hitting glass or, you know, bells. (laughs) Um, And you might think, oh, that sounds weird. Okay. But maybe if you try it, you might be like, oh, that that's really interesting. It adds this extra brightness. And, you know, depending on the levels you set, maybe you want it mostly to be the acoustic guitar and the bells just sort of somehow add a little shine to it in the background, but nobody would ever notice they were there. Or maybe you find it's the opposite, that you actually want the bells to sort of take over and the acoustic guitar just sort of helps really give it a more acoustic sound than it otherwise would have. And you're not going to discover any of these things if you're not recording And not only that, but recording almost definitely gives you access to more sounds because, you know, sure, you may have guitar pedals and a bunch of different instruments. But the reality is, as long as you have a microphone, you get all of those sounds just by having them already for recording, right? If you have your certain guitar pedal set up, all you have to do is then the output, instead of plugging into an amp, you plug it into your your sound card, right? Your audio interface. Boom. You have your whole pedal board. You don't have to change up anything. But on the other side, maybe you don't have a lot of pedals, 
and you've been like, I can't figure out how to get different sounds. You know what? There are tons of VSTs out there, which are basically just plugins that you can use with your DAW, DAW's Digital Audio Workstation. Basically, that's just the software that we record music into. So like, uh, you know, Pro Tools or what I use and talk about all the time, Reaper. Because again, Reaper, free. You can download it for free and use it forever for free. I literally used it for like eight years for free before I felt really bad about it and was like, I'm going to pay the 60 bucks to buy it. Um, I recorded a full length album on it using it for free, by the way, uh, which I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to do. But that's a part of why I felt bad. Also, like, yeah, there's many reasons I should feel bad about that. And I do, which is why I, I happily paid them the money. Uh, when the message re came up of like, hey, you still haven't bought it. But anyway, Reaper, great free DAW to use. I use it. Plenty of people use it. Uh, but Pro Tools and and all those other things, you know, uh, Fruit Loop, Fru- Fruity Loop Studio used to be called. Now it's just FL Studio, uh, probably because they weren't taken seriously with the name Fruity Loops, which is very fair. Um, plenty of DAWs out there. But anyway, a lot of these DAWs come built in with different sounds, right? They, so a lot of them have synths built in. So as long as you have a keyboard or some form of synth thing, you can plug it into your audio interface via the MIDI cable. Boom, you have access to all these sounds. Not to mention there's a bunch of free VSTs out there for you to download. Like once I got a music box one to use for a song. I wanted this creepy sort of music box feel. Um, so I went and got a free music box VST. Sounded pretty good. It was pretty good. I think I got a free organ one back in the day. Not as good as the Omnisphere one, so I now use the Omnisphere one now that I've paid $500 for Omnisphere. Um, you know, you, you can find a bunch of different instruments that there's a very small chance you have or would know how to play, like a sitar, right? I I don't know much about a sitar, except that I'm pretty sure that my guitar knowledge isn't going to just translate directly to it. Or something like a flute or something, I'd be totally helpless playing. But with VSTs, you can just use a keyboard or not even use a keyboard. You can literally program it and, you know, adjust it until it sounds right. So recording almost certainly gives you access to more sounds than you would have otherwise. With synths and bells and arpeggiators, a lot of these are going to be built into your DAW. If they're not, there are free VSTs out there. If not, you can certainly drop, you know, two, three, four hundred or less um, and gets get something that contains all of these different sounds, right? Like if, it, you know, I, I just mentioned Omnisphere is like 500 bucks. Maybe it's 400. I don't remember. But regardless, you might say, Joseph, that's a crap ton of money. Yes. But also it contains like everything. So I basically never need to buy anything ever again when it comes to sounds. Um, I don't think I will ever even hear every sound it has to offer because it has tens of thousands of presets i think more than that actually it might be a hundred it's a lot tons of presets that's not even to mention the fact that of course you can make your own and i think it also gives you tools to make your own synths based off of a sound that you record and then you can make it so that it's a playable synth and all that not even getting into any of that so the point here being that whether you are going all free or you're willing to put some money into it you almost definitely have access to more sounds when you're recording than you do otherwise. Because I couldn't get a sitar sound in a song or do any writing with a sitar sound without a computer and without recording. 
Like, I, I don't have a sitar. I'm not going to buy a sitar. I don't even know where to buy a sitar. And I don't have time to learn to play a sitar, which I assume is non-trivial, right? There are some instruments that are kind of trivial to learn. Like, for example, if you're a guitarist and you want to learn ukulele or something, that's probably pretty trivial. Um, harmonica apparently is fairly trivial. But most instruments, right, are, are not, right? You want to learn to play the banjo? Good luck. I'll see you in five years, I think. Something like that. Uh, but you can probably get a decent banjo sound that you can just play with your keyboard and program into your song and help develop your sound using some of these instruments that you otherwise would not have access to. Without recording, you almost definitely won't have access to. I, I don't have an organ in my house, right? But you're going to hear organ in my music if you go listen to the EP when I actually finish it because my voice is, you know, doesn't have a cold and actually can sing again without sounding extra nasally um, for no reason. But <clears throat> anyway, point that, <laughs> that way side note aside, you get my point, right? Like there's so many sounds that you just don't have access to in the quote unquote real worlds. But once you enter into the computer recording space, all of a sudden, you know, the, the world is your oyster, as people said, like 50 years ago or something. Another thing you can do that I think is pretty helpful, and this may be a little less obvious how it's helpful for developing your sound than some of these other ones, but you can build a template that you reuse for songs to make sure your sound is and your arrangement is generally handled in a similar way. So for example, maybe a part of your sound is that you always in incorporate sort of a string quartet and maybe that string quartet is a real one uh, but maybe it's just you at your piano keyboard whatever and you're making using midi string sounds to create a quote-unquote string quartet a great way to make sure you always do that or you at least default to doing that unless you ex like intentionally decide for a song not to do that is if you save a template for your projects that contains the parts you normally would have, right? So for, for me, for by default, I usually want a, four different tracks for what is effectively a quote-unquote string quartet. I usually want one, one track for acoustic guitar, one for piano, one for bass, and then I want certain layers for electric guitar that I sort of already covered, but uh, I have things I call filler guitars, things like that. There are certain layers and certain things that by default I plan to have. Now, that doesn't mean that every single song I'm going to fill all these in, right? The idea is just to make it so that instead of me having to remember, oh, yeah, I want to add like this random organ or this random chime sound or this random you know, this certain guitar part and certain guitar style, instead of having to do that and possibly forgetting, instead I definitely see it, right? It's there, it's already there, it's in my template. And then I explicitly decide, you know what? I don't think that's a good fit for that this song, right? It's very important, right? Because it, it makes it so that you're being intentional about all these things rather than accidentally forgetting things. That's what we want to avoid. I'm not saying you should always have the exact same layers in all your songs. That could be a dangerous road to make it sound too similar. Um, but at least having a template 
that has your main go-tos already built in is a great way to sort of have a similar sound through your different tracks. And specifically, especially, let's say you're writing EPs and your whole thing is that you want to release an EP every two years or whatever. And an EP is generally four to six songs, right? Let's call it five because, because I want to. And because of my bad podcast. Um, <laughs> but let's, let's just say it's five. And specifically across an EP or an album, right? That's where you really want to make sure that your songs sound like they're of the same album. So even if you change up from one EP or one album to the next, what your template is, probably at least across an EP or an album, you probably want to keep one template, right? Whether that's just making sure that by default you incorporate piano into every song or by default, you make sure there's an organ in every song or a certain chime sound or bells or certain arpeggiators or, or just the fact that there needs to be a synth arpeggiator. But, you you know, it's a different one every song, but you want to make sure there is an, an arpeggiator in it. All these sort of things are ways to make sure that we're being intentional about our song crafting and it evolves over time and that we don't just sort of accidentally stumble upon a good sound and then you know, have to refigure out how to create, recreate the wheel every time. No, no, no. Once you find something that's your sound, make that your template. And then from there, every time you make a song, you can explicitly decide to get outside of that box by deleting certain tracks or being like, no, I'm not going to record this many layers of guitars this time or whatever. But it's at least a good starting place. And at least make sure you don't forget. So hopefully this makes you think, okay, maybe I should start getting into recording because you really should. I have nothing to gain from you getting into recording. Um, obviously, I'm not sponsoring anything or anything like that. I talk about Reaper a lot, but Reaper does not pay me to talk about Reaper. Um, and they offer it for free. So <laughs> I, I'm not sure they would they would offer anybody money to talk about it. Um, so I have nothing to gain from this, but really, Recording is so valuable as a songwriter between getting better at arranging, developing your sound, uh, forcing you to be a better player even. Um, because, you know, when you when you record, recordings have a way of illuminating your weaknesses in, in ways that nothing else will. Right. It's kind of like maybe you've gone through the whole maybe you do a singing performance and then you watch the video back and you're like, wow, that didn't go as well as I thought it did. And a part of it might be, you know, the video quality and, you know, some, some you know, maybe the the piano was too loud and the guitar wasn't loud enough and that part's not your fault. And it sounded like you were out of tune, but that's because you were perfect tune with the guitar, which live was more loud than the piano. But for whatever reason, the, the piano sounds more loud in the recording, right? There's a million reasons that might be that isn't that you suck. Um, and, and of course, you know, a bad performance or just an okay performance doesn't mean any of us suck either, right? We all have good days and bad days. But, you know, you, you may or may not have gone through something like that. And what recording does is it keeps you honest more often um, and illuminates your weaknesses, which is not always fun, uh, right? Like I, I, I think this is common for most instrumentalists, but recording always sobers me to, wow, I always like to sort of rush the song a little bit. Um, 
I, I, I don't lag. <laughs> if anything, I'm hitting the piano notes, you know, that little bit before the beat comes. Um, I tend to push it, uh, which again, I think is almost all instrumentalists. That's common to all of us. I think, um, I feel like dragging is more of a voc vocally. Sometimes we do that, but when it comes to an instrument, that's I think pretty rare, but regardless of what your weaknesses are, right. They'll be illuminated by recording. So there's so many advantages to recording, uh, not to mention that's super rewarding because it's, it's the best way to create sort of a perfected version of your song that can exist forever. Right. I, I think of it like if you write a first draft of a book and then, you know, your legacy is then based on, you know, maybe your kids or whoever is left behind have has this rough draft of the book, but it never saw the final form that you intended it to be, right? Because it was just a first draft, which, I mean, some, depending on book series you're a fan of, you you might know some book series where the, the author died before they could finish it, and then other people took their outline and turned it into a book, and it wasn't quite the same, right? Um, because at the end of the day, you want the final product from the person. And the best way to create a final product and feel like your song is done is recording it. Because once you record it, there's that version of the song that will exist forever, quote unquote perfected, right? And that doesn't mean, you know, there's plenty of songs for the album I did a long time ago uh, with my band Highland that I hate choices I made. I had tempo changes, hate it awful there's a couple cringy lyrics which i wrote half the lyrics when i was like 16 17 so it's fine i guess um but you know there's plenty of things that are regrettable perhaps um but still having those definitive versions it it it, it, it makes it so you know those songs are done and if i want to revisit them to quote unquote fix them or make a better version of them i can but there is already a finished version out there. And it's hard to really describe that feeling, except, you know, uh, you know, if you've ever finished a paper, if once you finish something, right, there's a certain relief. Something comes off your shoulders, right? Just like I imagine an author after finishing a book or a painter after finishing a painting, right? Once you consider it done and you hang it on the wall, even if there are imperfections, at least it's done. Um, and that's a great feeling. So, Hopefully this was helpful to you if it was, and if you find this podcast helpful. Thank you so much to all of you who have been leaving podcast reviews lately. I really appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate your kind words that you share as well. It means an awful lot to me. I do appreciate all of you. So thank you to all of you who have left reviews. Thank you to those of you who have reached out to me via email, those who leave comments in the comments section of YouTube. And again, if you haven't already, be sure to check out my free six-step lyric writing checklist. It will really help you out with lyric writing, which I think for most of us is the biggest struggle. And anything to make lyric writing less painful and more rewarding, I think, is uh, certainly a good thing. I think we all could probably agree on that, regardless of how important you think lyrics are, which hopefully you think they're very important. But regardless of how you feel about them, I bet taking the pain away from writing them and making it less excruciating of a process is something that sounds good to you. So if it does, be sure to check that out, songwritertheory.com slash lyric checklist. Link will be in the show notes and or description. Per usual, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you, and I'll talk to you in the next one.